In a world where ecological problems cannot be solved without challenging capitalism, and where a socialism that does not respect the environment is worthless. One gray bear and one pinkish lady are looking for traces of eco-socialism inside a green party and your heart. It's knackers and the badge. Comrades, the old order is dying, making a lot of burbling sounds. The new cannot be born, not without your assistance, your revolutionary participation in a crafternoon of many coloured papers of different varieties and stocks, glitter, reason up in your imagination. Or you could just listen to Knackers, Knackers, Knackers and the Vag, Vag, Vag here on the entity known as the internet. A resource made by one and all, but no, apparently it costs money. Everything costs money. What cannot be traded? Well, maybe politicians. Now, they're an, they're an honest mob. Aspiring politicians always tell the truth. I, uh, I recently had a conversation with one and now I'm in his campaign office here in Sydney, peak hour on Parramatta Road. What a shit office. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Jim Casey, uh, Greens for Graindler with the alluring web address of greensforgraindler.org. Here you are. It's um, not that interior design matters that much. Oh, it matters to me. But look, hey, thanks for having me. Like, um, no, no, I've always not. wanted to say this. First time caller, long time listener. Yeah. So here's the bear. Okay, cheers. Uh, yeah. He is called Knackers. Yeah. He is also a commodity. When I go on too long, as I am wont to do, being rather enamoured of nothing but the sound of my own voice, you just, you know, you you gently toss the little bear cool. my way. So, Jim, Casey, in Australia there is a federal election. Uh, the issue of the federal election, well, there's been two. It started off with speech. Did you notice this, Jim? Mm-hmm. So speech, like um, one of the first, um, you know, that uh, that uh, atrocity, that reality show, that um, Man, wrestling what? event Q&A. Oh, yeah. Which, of course, you would think would be wonderful if they invited you on. Yeah, but otherwise you hate it, which is pretty much my position. <laughs> it's just yeah. such a charade. But uh, so one of the one of the first uh, after the you know the election was called was uh, a whole lot of politicians talking about hate speech, talking about free speech, robust speech. How if we speak better to each other and we're only reasonable? Yeah, it's a load of garbage, isn't it? I mean, they, they, the one thing you're not allowed to talk about is the fact that a tiny number of people run our lives and the rest of us have to do as we're told. Like, that's that's the real obscenity and that's the thing no one talks about. It's just at what point in which culture was everybody terribly well-spoken and respectful? Oh, I, I think it's I think it's a little bit more complicated than that. I mean, for mine, well, the answer's never, mm. but... But I think it's it's actually like used as a weapon. I mean, this concern around polite polite discourse is really about two things. One, it's one, it's a recognition of the gains the social movements made over the last thirty years, and that's a good thing. But the flip side is it's a way to just shut people up. It is, it is, and also you, the idea of free speech is another way to shut people up. I mm. mean, you, you know, you can't look at a 
a News Corp publication, that lovely publicly traded Delaware corporation with classified stock, traded on NASDAQ in two different codes. Count them two. Mm. I'm not sure about dual stock options. Do you have an opinion? No. Okay, good. Um, so, you know, free speech um, as, you know, of the Jordan Peterson or Andrew Bolt type is also it just, it's it's a nonsense. It's like everyone has this sort of imaginary understanding of perfect democratic order and if we all just followed the rules and spoke to each other and really listened, then things would change. How the fuck does that work? Yeah. Look, I I don't think – I think there's a, it's more cynical than that really. I, I think at some level if you, if you agree that there's kind of two sides in society, you know, those who work and those who don't, um, our side's losing. You know, Warren Buffett had that great line, the, the American um, – was the investment banker? There is a class war and our side's winning. So in that environment, the kind of things that the Andrew Bolts of 20 years ago would fight about were real things like union power or the advance of the women's movement. Given where we're at at the moment, they have the culture war fights, which means it comes down to language, it comes down to free speech. And sadly, our side, you know, reciprocates and whinges about, about the same things. And well, in the case of Andrew Bolt, I believe he does it very cynically. Mm. Uh, I understand that, you know, the – well, now the News Corp and was it – Fox 21st century. I can't remember what Rupert splits two companies it into, but there's that tradition of um, that's that's evolved over time. They've evolved certain techniques. The easy way to describe them is that do you know the term the shit post? Yes. Yeah. I mean it's a great word, I reckon, mm. um, to describe a lot because you just lay a turd in the middle of the dinner party conversation and the stink is so foul mm, that no mm. one can make any sense of, mm, of anything. Mm. So I saw Andrew Bolt criticising a comedy program, a comedy sketch mm. program, which it was an extraordinarily, in, in my view, funny scene. Uh, it was quite vulgar. It was written by black women. In, in Australia, it was written by uh, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander women and it was about reclaiming land. It was very funny, very lewd and so Bolt writes a column saying, this sort of thing will create more white supremacist gunmen. <laughs> yeah. And that kind of thing is very, very cynical. Mm. Unfortunately, though, it is something that, those people that call themselves leftists often believe that media is very influential, that there are correct kinds of comedy and incorrect kinds of comedy, that all we need to do is change the narrative or the discourse or whatever they're calling it these days and, you know, everything will improve. We've got to, you know, print out a brochure. We've got to raise awareness. We have to have strong role models on television. Do you, do you think, though, that this is radically different? I mean, I reckon progressives have always had, you know, I mean, what, what's that old, uh, is it the situation? So that slogan, the worst copper is the copper in your head. Mm. And that, that people have always been concerned about how they will appear and therefore mitigated what is really good activity. I mean, you know, at the moment, that stuff comes through a digital uh, digital medium, so maybe it's happening quicker. But I don't know whether radicals 100 years ago were really facing anything different than, than we are today with that kind of question. I don't know about that. I mean, mass media changes everything. It's just assumed that there are media effects. 
it was much more structured. So if you look at like, say, in Australia where we have a really strong history of censorship, we love to mm. ban things here in Australia. Now, of course, um, with digital um, reproduction and distribution, it's really, really difficult to do so. But, you know, there's a whole network of ridiculous laws, which I think started in the colony of Victoria with Alfred Deakin, who didn't want to see, you know, the racy French novels of Zola uh, appear in bookstores and they were, you know, seized from um, Mm. a Melbourne bookshop. And, you know, again and again and again, you know, gay video rental stores were, were raided up until quite recently, you know, when people still would rent out sticky videos and and whatnot. So were it not for digital networking, we'd still be very much like that. So it was always more structured, I think, mm. um, in that sense. It was just like out-and-out authoritarian. The poor cannot cope with this kind of vice. They have vulnerable minds. We still do it, we, they. The, the, the rulers in this nation, uh, they do it in the Northern Territory during the intervention. You know, uh, um, Aboriginal uh, men and and women were not permitted uh, access, full access to the internet during the intervention Mm. because, you know, know, they'll watch porn, they can't handle it. So it's this, for me it's sort of like more, it's this notion of this kind of like very imperial idea that, well, I can handle that kind of thing but you can't, you know, that other people need improving literature, uplifting television and instructions to be better people. But Isn't that as old as class society itself though? I yeah. mean, you know, like when you look at the some of the stuff, I mean, I'm no classic scholar, but I'm, I'm told that there was that real vein of hypocrisy inside Rome as well where you had the kind of, you know, debaucheries of, of parts of the ruling class but an expectation of a kind of, you know, more sober behaviour from um, – from poor citizens, you know, which yeah. was wasn't met, and they were therefore, you know, the, anyway. Anyway, we should look. We should talk about your campaign. Yes, yes. Yeah, you, uh, Jim, Jim Casey, for for Grindler, caught my attention in the federal election of twenty sixteen. No real interest in federal elections. You know, be honest, there is shit show. 2016, also the year in Australia of the lowest voter turnout since 1925, the year that voting was made compulsory in Australia. People will just pay the $80 fine and say, fuck it. You know, all this banging on about the democracy sausage and Australia having a great barbecue and like, no, you know, anti-politics is what, you know, a lot of people would prefer to vote for, complete unconcern. But did you read about this bloke, 2016, I think it was at Unity Hall that the Australian personality, craft beer connoisseur, and sometime politician uh, Anthony Albanese launched his campaign, wasn't mm, it? certainly was, yeah. Unity, Unity Hall, Hall, which is… In the middle of Balmain. And, the the yeah, birthplace of the Australian the Labor Party, really. Well, some debates about where there's a tree in Queensland which claims the same title, but yes. Yeah. And he… Without mentioning the name of Jim Casey, he gave the radical revolutionary resume and basically said that there was this radical Trotskyist dissident man armed only with his insanity who was up for a challenge. And I thought, 
oh, that bloke sounds good. So this was the memory, I think, that, you know, if people retain a memory for you in, of you in your division or around the nation, that, that would probably be the, the formative memory where he just said, you know, you were in the International Socialist Organisation and how very dare you and you were concealing your communist agenda but, you know, jokey, jokey, ha, ha, ha. And then, well, you know, there's been a few incidents this campaign as well. I'm sure, I mean, you're a tough bloke. You were born in Lithgow, right? Mm -hmm. The derision, I'm sure, doesn't get you down. But what must be frustrating is to, because you've got like, you know, well, you've got a Greens chance in Graindler of winning this thing, right? Yeah. But the campaign, and I'm sure that a lot of people, or well, a handful of half-decent fuckers that retain some kind of human shred and do campaign, use the campaign to speak to people, to speak to them about their political consciousness, to get a sense of... Yeah, look, I mean, all my adult life I've been a socialist and most of my activity has been in either the trade union movement. Mm. Uh, I'm a firefighter by trade, so mm. most of that's been inside the Fire Brigade Employees Union, which I led for seven years, uh, or in the last decade around climate change. That, that's been the, the two biggest campaigns I've been involved in in my life. Mm. Uh, and really, this election campaign is just a another space to to try to spruik both of those. So, I mean, you know, the, the, the odds of me uh, winning in, in Grainer are vanishingly small. You know, you know, you know it'd be an act of God situation. But growing the vote and having an, the argument with the, you know, 110,000 people who live here about why we need a better world and how we can afford it, you know, I mean, sort of, and I don't just mean in terms of money, we can afford it in terms of, you know, what we're capable of, in terms of what people are capable of. That's the point of the exercise. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. But in terms of um, exercising, that form of direct communication with people, there's this big hurdle of shit. Mm. Uh, it's an obstacle course for any of us to form a political consciousness, uh, a, a framework of understanding the world. And when you mention words such as capitalism or, um, you know, bosses... <laughs> Workers, people don't like that one. No, people don't like yeah. workers. Uh, no, even workers don't like being called workers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, look. But, I, but I, is, you, is that have you found a way in? Have you found devised ways to talk to people? Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's a work in progress, isn't it? I mean, this yeah. is we're, this is really we're talking about it in the broader sense of the word. This is how does the movement to change the world work effectively? So have I come up with a, a system? No, but I, I kind of feel like, and the people I'm working with in this campaign are getting better and better at it. Mm. And I feel like the, the real key, well, it's twofold. I mean, one is you can't beat having a, a connection with someone on the back of either, you know, shared locality or shared project. So, you know, in terms of movements in our area, like the West Connects, uh, the West Connects sort of overseas or interstate listeners it's an evil evil toll road um you know being immersed in that means that you, you, you're speaking to thousands of people who know your credentials because they've seen you doing the work and that breaks through mm. a lot of bad press the other side of it is talking to people um about what they want to talk about you know and really yeah. like rather than preaching at people just saying what's on your mind mm. i had a chat to a young bloke the other day 25 i guess uh, when I was door knocking and he, he he sort of opened the door and I asked him what was on his mind and he said, oh, you know, the footpaths are all cracked and the roads are all stuffed. And I can remember my first thought was, oh, this bloke's not, not tuned on, but I persevered with it. 
And he was really concerned about work, about his work, mm. about his mother's work, about his grandmother's healthcare. He had all of this, you know, like a whole sea of stuff. But if I just kind of, um, you know, either preached at him or switched off at that point, I never would have known it. So, yeah, I think, you know, you listen to people and you take people where they're at and you try to engage them and, and that's that's all you can do. You yeah, know? yeah. There's this idea I have about a lot of socialist people that there has to be a sort of like an endlessly replenishing optimism mm. that you wake up with every morning, no matter my mood, which is usually bad, I retain a sense of, oh, well, I'm going to grab the world in my paws with the enthusiasm of a Bolshevik spliced with Elon Musk and this is the day that it will change. I mean, I don't articulate that but it may be the day and unless you have that, you know, sometimes quite irritating optimism, you 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 can't go on, right? Uh, well, different strokes for different folks. So that's not the way I do it. Right. Um, I did when I was younger, but I, I had an argument with this uh, this surrealist poet I used to know in, in Canberra, your hometown, who um, he just said, oh, it just sounds like hard work. What well, you're talking about, you know, what a drudge. You know, you're getting ready to to win in a fight and la, 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 la. He just said, look, I, I do this because I like it. You know, I, I, I'm involved in politics. This is his line and I've taken it to heart. Mm. Uh, I'm involved in this because, you know, the world is a canvas and I want to paint on it, you know. I don't like parts of it, so I want to change it. And it, it's a joyful process in and of itself. I mean, I, I find that more sustaining, but whatever floats your boat, I mean, yeah. I, what floats my boat is, is um, I mean, God, it sounds so sappy, but people, you know, <laughs> I bet when you have a conversation and, you know, you're transformed or, or, mm. or they're transformed or, or when somebody makes a radical intellectual shift, just at the level of kind of, an unlocking of of the mind, you know, the sort of thing that might occur with 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 laughter. You know, sometimes laughter can yeah. shift the gears in your head. But when somebody changes their view and starts developing a framework for understanding themselves, understanding the world, they can accelerate to a fairly elaborate, you know, intellectual position pretty quickly, yeah. and that is extraordinary. Yeah, there was a – I'm going to sound like a wanker here, but was it was it Hegel? <laughs> so some philosopher had that whole thing about the difference between qualitative and quantitative change with the head of hair. Do you know this one? No, I don't. So you've got a guy and with a full head of hair and you pluck out one of his hairs and he's still got a full head of hair and you pluck out another single hair and he's still got a full head mm. of hair and you keep plucking him out singly and at some point you look at that bloke and go, oh, he's bald. So there's a moment where it flips where the quantitative shift goes to a very radical qualitative shift. And um, I sometimes feel like that's the way ideas kind of, well, not uh, the ideas of, of groups of people move in that, you know, we think it's just kind of unchanging and that's just the way things are. But, but in reality, th those views are, are formed by all sorts of different pressures, like tectonic plates, I guess. And then when they shift, people can really move very quickly. Yeah, and um, they again they can move together as you were. Oh, and if they uh, which don't, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is what you were talking about, um, you know, that, yeah, when, when that, Mass intellect occurs. I've not seen it occur personally much in my lifetime. I've seen little bits. Like, you know, one of my proudest days of my life actually was a, a strike we pulled off in 2012. It was um, – Yeah, this is this is great. It's, 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 I mean, I've peaked in 2012, tragically. But, uh, no, it was, a, it was the first general strike of firefighters since 1956. 
uh, in New South Wales. And as far as I know, I don't think they've ever done it elsewhere in the country. Like so, total stoppage. Like every fire engine in Sydney was dragged into Parliament House. The strike was about uh, workers' comp. Workers', yeah. workers compensation. So uh, the legislation had changed. So uh, firefighter, not I'd say the top ten safe jobs. You know, no, no, it's it's up there on the um on the not so cool ones. Yeah, and you're not likely to get paper cuts. No, no, no. It tends to be um. Yeah, so it was it was, a, it was a good it was a good defensive thing to fight around. You know, we're trying to hang on to something which was reasonable, uh, and it was before Parliament, so there was an exemption being debated for us, which we it's a long story about that. But the real point was, um, for you know, got all up into including off duty members. There would have been about eight hundred firefighters blocking mm. Parliament that day. We got the hoses a hose to work on Parliament House roof. The police turned up. There was talk about the riot squad coming. They backed off. It was one of those really full on days. And for so many of the men and women who, myself included, who were there that day, there was that real sense afterwards, like you've tasted your own power, and that that's an interesting thing, you know. Mm. The, and it's it's easily ground back out of you, and all the rest of it doesn't stay there forever. But experiences like that, uh, yeah, that, that's that, that's a really really big way to get a bit of a, a, a intellectual shift. I think there's a sense, and I mean, I've, I fall into it still at times of sort of. Yeah, I can come over a bit hoity-toity professional managerial class and oh, say, yeah. well, you know, can't we just write down some facts and reason with these people? <laughs> yeah. And then they'll see. And, you know, I'm involved with my own union and this is the view of some of my comrades in the steering committee for my particular kind of worker, which is a worker who doesn't know what's going on from one day to the next. And they say, well, we need data. We need spreadsheets. You know, we need all the paraphernalia. of it. But no, you just, it, it does not need to be that dawned. It just be, well, well you know, what, what, are we, what are we looking for? Well, like guaranteed work, mm. insurance if we're injured on the job, you know, you to pay your legally required amount of super, you know, just really basic shit. It's it's funny, isn't it? Like there's always those people, you know, you'd know them, I know them, like really good people who mm. are so convinced by the righteousness of their argument that building a better argument is their way to change the world. And the tragedy for mine when you see people like that is just that the people in power, they're not listening to reason, they, they listen to power. Mm. And that, uh, you know, you can have you can have a – a beautifully researched hundred thousand word manifesto, but if you've got no muscle behind it, no one cares. Or you could have some notes on the back of a beer coaster, but if you've got ten thousand people on the streets, uh, or ten thousand people stopping work, or a hundred thousand people at the ballot box, then that that counts. And mm. it's um, it's 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 a pity. I mean, I wish the world was a more rational place in terms of having discussions and deciding things on their merits. But the truth really is that uh, you know, power decides what happens, and and our side's not that powerful at the moment. You are listening to Knackers, Knackers, Knackers in the Vag, Vag, Vag. If you want to give me some money, you've got none. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash Helen Razor. I am with Jim Casey for Graindler. I have inspected some of the insides of his head and I have seen him recently in uh, the the pages of uh, the, the News Corp publication in its Australian branded division. Uh, the Daily Telegraph you were in recently. This is just, it really, really struck me. It's one of the reasons I got in contact with you. So Jim was 
videoed by a mate, I think, yeah, yeah, at a party yeah. and your mate put it up on Facebook and you had a blindfold on and you were bashing a piñata. It was a piñata that that resembled was intended to resemble the head of our current prime minister Scummo. He's an awful, awful streak of pelican shit. Mm-hmm. And so he's a Australian bloke, Australian, Australian backyard, having a few, you know, frosties, blowing the top off and knocking around with the with the Prime Minister and saying, ah, <laughs> that one's hard to crack. But the way it was depicted, um, you know, quite elaborately in the Murdoch press was almost as though you were some kind of uh, Satanist socialist who was involved in the, it wasn't so much, it wasn't even a ritual, it was beyond that. It was like a magic trick. Yeah. And the head was referred to as an effigy. And it just, you read the text it's peculiar, right? Yeah, yeah. I got it. It's, oh, look, best thing that's happened to my campaign. I mean, because <laughs> um, it was so ridiculous. Like, even I've got, you know, as I'm sure you do, you, you know, right wing trolls who haunt your page uh, or your, your social media spaces, uh, you know, and all the usual stuff. You're a fuck with Jim, I'll kill your Jim, that kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, but on that one, they were really quiet. And I think the reason they were really quiet was because even they just went, oh, for God's sake, it was a pinata. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, it was uh, this version that you see particularly in Murdoch tabloids, um, the big metropolitan dailies, they are all sort of grappling for this idea of like a nostalgic Aussie masculinity Mm, mateship mm. thing. They can be quite convincing about it. Um, But, you know, at their core, it it, it reminds me of when John Howard is talking about the value of mateship and there's, you know, there's a bloke you just know never had any fucking yeah, yeah. mates, right? <laughs> and it's just, but there's this really, you know, there's this peculiar idea of what it means to be a man that I, I see particularly in in your campaign having a great resurgence. I have this peculiar interest in male politicians and their proximity to beer. Uh, like, you know, I almost want to do a, a coffee table book because it is. You've come to the right place. It is, a, but it's a very particular thing in Australia. We had a prime minister here, Bob Hawke, who yeah, uh, had the yard uh, glass had, had, special, yeah, had, held the yard glass record at not one but two universities. Oh, really? I only knew uh, one. Yeah, I think Oxford, and I think it was in WA as oh, well. There you go. Yeah, and you know, so the beer is a very big thing in your your actual electorate, like in the division of Graindler. Uh, the current, currently elected Anthony Albanese has been banging on about craft beer for ages. He says microbreweries are much nicer than pubs. Part, part of that's actually, and, you know, fair enough too, there's a, a really nice little joint called um, Willie the Boatman and the mm. guys who run that are Labor Party members and, look, they're on the left and they're, they're actually good comrades. I mean, you know, poorly led, I would say, but they're really good guys. Uh, and they they've they've backed Albanese in, and I think it's a bit of a, a legitimate uh, you know quid pro quo. So um, I think that's where a lot of that comes from. Sure, but this idea that you can you know that the the innovation of craft brewers can be used as a model to sort of save the economy, blah blah blah. Yeah. But so you get so there's all these different approaches to sort of like being a man, you know, and your proximity to 
manly things. You know, you get the your, your Barnaby Joyce type, just you know, swill, swilling around a skewy, and you get Scott Morrison doing this like, peculiar performance mm. of not really being able to drink. You know, it's almost as though he's taken lessons. Oh, we all know about Engadine Mackers. I mean, in '97. Can we talk about that or oh, not? Oh, well, actually, maybe not. I'm joking. It, it, okay. Google Batuta Advocate and Engadine Mackers '97. Uh, have, have you noticed this as, as part of the, like, uh, masculinity is really yeah. trying to remake itself? Yeah. Actually, I, I, I hadn't kind of considered it, but I suppose there is a bit of that. You see with Morrison in particular, you know how he's sort of going for that on the one hand, dag, daggy dad, but on the other hand, you know, straight shooter, knows where it's at kind of thing. Yeah, and then, and, 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 and then on, on the Sabbath, he's off at a mega church yeah, speaking yeah, yeah. in tongues. And then remember, like Rudd. Desperately trying to get the jargon right. Fair shake of the sauce bottle, you know. Oh, God. Yeah. I can't say I'd ever heard the word shirt front before Tony Abbott used it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I I think there's something to it. I mean, I wonder where where it comes from. Is it it some kind of weird attempt to to carve out a space in a a, a sort of culture war-y kind of world? I don't know. I think But the left does it as much as the right, so that's that's the other interesting thing. Not so – I mean – the left doesn't try to reconstitute a dead or an undead nostalgic idea of masculinity. No, no, but there's lots of politicians on the left who who try to to you know trade on or or manufacture a sort of blokey kind of vibe. Yes, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, yeah. you know, Albanese being one of them. I mean, you know, putatively of the left. Yeah, yeah. But it's just yeah, it's it's there's so little to look out for in this federal election. Hence me talking to you. Uh, the, the, um, well, you Damn know, because you're fucking price, half right? decent, right? You've got some okay ideas about yeah. shit. Um, yeah, I, you know, I think I'm you're not... ready for about the whole private property thing, for example, and I approve of that. Well, you, I'm iffy on it and you're, you're cool with it? Good. No, no, no. I've got my doubts too. About, about? Private property, about the imposition of like ownership on life and land. I'm not big into it. Yeah, I, I, I uh, Yes. Yeah, and like expanded state powers, like institutional control, all that. So not, yeah, I'm undecided. Let's just say that. Call me old fashioned, but I, I have a problem with it. Yeah. yeah, but so there's just so little to look out for. So you know, all I'm noticing is these, what I think are sort of like very decrepit performances, like these these unconvincing mm, mm. sort of mannequins, these like hastily drawn crayon men and women, you know, and absolutely perhaps convinced, do you think, that this election is a wonderful opportunity for a great democratic conversation or whatever? Because, like, the press are all like, it's on, was the, you know, it's mm, just, mm. oh, this is fantastic. And and Australia, democracy sausage, we all love an election. This is the time for a contest of ideas and a, a marketplace of thought and a, and let's hack the future and all of that and but no and one it's so feeble yeah it is, is actually so fundamentally feeble yeah i heard on the radio coming in um some talking head on on radio saying this is the election where climate change has been the big issue and um i, I, I just don't think where? that's well yeah i mean like it's sort of yes i mean there are debates around aspects of policy uh, between the two majors, and and the Greens have got a, a much better position, but you know the ten percent of the population that gives us stuff about the Greens vote notices that. Yeah. But really, like in terms of what's really being discussed, 
like the big one. Yeah, I mean, the big thing we we contribute to the the whole question of a warming climate is exporting coal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that, that's not being discussed. Uh, you know, uh, it's, it's the extraction industry is responsible for fifty percent of emissions, right? In the world, something like that. I don't know. It'll be on you. Oh, in the world. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and so, uh, you, you know, are we well, coal is the biggest single determinant to to warming uh, yeah. of any any single thing. We export. We're, we're the biggest net exporter in the world, and we're the fourth largest producer. So, so, what, I mean, so what is the argument essentially about? Like, um, I the arguments about windmills and solar panels, and and look, it just it shits me up the wall because, like, you know, honestly. You could put you could put windmills and solar panels on on every roof in every spare patch in Australia, and if you don't stop exporting the coal, uh, we're still going to be doing the same contribution to global warming we're doing right now. Mm. Uh, and, and yeah, it's 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 I think quite sad that not more people are saying. Well, actually, but having said that, so like you know the, the liberals are, are you know doubling down because they are the party of big business, and Labor's equivocating on it, refusing to commit because they are partially the party of big business, and and we all know how that story goes. Uh, but it is actually quite encouraging to see that there's still tens of thousands of people who aren't taking no for an answer. Mm. And, and the school student strike was a particular, you know, little buzz. But, uh, you know, the, the, the movement there is growing, so that's something to be happy about. Yeah. Oh, they're shitty. Mm. Um, hey, I think we've got to go to the pub, don't we? We do. Oh, look, we could do five more minutes. Okay, we yeah. could do five more minutes. All right. Yeah, yeah. So, firefighter, you were once the, what What was it, general secretary? secretary? Yeah, or state secretary, we state, call it, yeah. State secretary. You bang on about rights at work a lot. Yeah. Uh, about the right to strike. And, well, you know, it's almost an impossibility now in the nation state referred to as Australia to do that. Why, you know, industrial relations are not matters that tend to preoccupy your party, the party of the Greens. Is that changing, or is it is it primarily your preoccupation? Just tell me about it, mate. Look, the left and the Greens um, are really good on this, and that's the reason. Look, there's a couple, two reasons why I joined the Greens. One was because I finally woke up and smelt the coffee about climate, uh, and the other was actually the industrial relations platform because I wasn't going to join a party that didn't actually support people having a right to strike, which is one of the reasons why I never joined Labor. Mm. Uh, you know, it's, it, it actually, it winds me up beyond belief that the ACTU has run this long campaign about changing the rules, uh, but they don't mention who wrote the rules. I mean, the, the industrial relations laws we're kicking against were, were introduced by the Rudd government. Mm. Uh, you know, the, the, <laughs> Labor, it, it, it's actually, it, it actually, it, it breaks my heart when I see so many people involved in the organised labour movement who, for whatever reason, just just have to keep doubling down on on that on that mistake. We saw it with uh, you know your rights at work in two thousand and seven. You know we got we got rid of Howard helped helped get rid of Howard elected Rudd who proceeded to uh, you know introduce the Fair Work Act. Uh, my concern is the same thing is going to happen this time. Well, the rules that are oh, going to change are not being. But you're right. But the big thing, and this is the thing which like I, you know certainly the the people I work with in the Greens uh, in New South Wales and and many around the country are saying. The way you change the rules is you break them. And, uh, and some unions, like, you know, the CFMEU and the MEU. Well, yeah, I mean, corporations have been doing it for yeah, years. Exactly right. They finally, you, you, you know, a, a, corporate, like, a corporation, there are particular corporate practices that uh, evolve. And, well, you know, I mean, they become regulations. Mm. 
So why should they have all the fun? That's right. And, and you know, look, it, it, it's again, it's an exercise in power. Uh, I mean, I understand why governments pass laws which mean that people like me can't strike. I, I get it. Uh, it's not a matter of convincing them about their, their logic's quite sound from their perspective. What you need to do is make the law unworkable. And part of that is actually electing governments that are, um, are capable of changing. But the other part of it is actually just creating the conditions where they know they're going to have to but change. You see, it. what happens though if workers do amass power and start to face their real conditions of life with sober senses mm. and organise? What happens is that then they demand a sustainable living wage and then the companies don't make quite as much money as they are at the moment. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Look, we're a long way away from that. I mean, when you like, really, you, you, when you think about it, if they, if they, you know, opened up the labour laws and, and made it remotely like a level playing field, we're still talking about very low density, and you know, the quality of that density is all over the shop. So, you know, some industries are well organised and, and ready to go. Others have got you know twenty percent, fifteen percent, you know, membership, which means that you can't. So, I guess what I'm saying is that even if they change the laws tomorrow, the idea of a wages breakout. You might see it in a couple of sectors, but you'll still be struggling in, you know, in many places. Just between you, me and Uncle Charlie, I think capitalism might be crisis prone. Yeah, I know. It's, it's got that flavour, hasn't it, you know? Break the wheel, yeah, yeah. as Daenerys yeah. says, although I don't trust her one little bit. No, crisis case, deja vu all over again. Uh, indeed yeah. it is. And it's time for us to go. If you're in fucking Grindler... In a Western Sydney, fucking vote for him, all right? Just yeah. just do it. You can't give your vote to that Albanese. Look, he's, he's a decent bloke, right? You give Alba your number two or number three we're recommending after the science part. He's not a noble man. He told me that he became a firefighter in his 20s to get chicks. <laughs> yes. Well. And, and it worked, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, 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 good on you, comrade. Um, uh, be- best best luck. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, you stop it. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> All right, later. All right, see you later. <laughs> You've been listening to Knackers and the Vag.